Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Um, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 14. And it's actually on my heart just to start with this verse. Look how disciplined I'm being. I'm not moving on until you finish turning. Usually I know I just bust on through, right? <laughs> so here in verse 14, it says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, I just want to start there because I want you to begin with the connection. You know that faith, um, it's going to sound strange, but it's almost a synonym with love. Do you get that? Faith, you can almost set up an equation that says faith is love and love is faith. You understand that God can speak all kinds of things through his word or just directly through his presence to you. He can speak and he can speak promises and blessings and all kinds of things. And if, if we are not grounded in an assurance of his love, it's basically powerless. There really can be no faith in those words unless it begins on a foundation of love. Do you know the truth of that? It starts at the Father's love. We start as sons, not as people that are supposed to do things. We start as sons. We start as his beloved, as his bride. He laid his life down so that we would know that we're loved so that he can speak words and those words can actually mean something. You understand you can't have faith just like in a marriage, okay? Um, you can speak um, words of love to your spouse, for example, but they're, they're fairly meaningless, fairly powerless, unless it's on a foundation of a knowing that is in love. Is that the truth? And believe it or not, you know, we're in a series of warfare, and believe it or not, I'm already talking about warfare. Now, we've talked about that a little bit in the past couple of weeks already, um, that the, the, the initial warfare is against love right? Because if you can strike that, we're already losing. You can't really believe or have faith in any, any other good thing he has for you, if not starting on love. Last week, Tom gave us an amazing word, and I got a chance to listen to it this week, and um, I was so blessed by some things in it that... Um, some of them were actually kind of new thoughts or new directions for me, and it blessed me so much that I dug deeper. And we're actually going to start by building on some of the cool things that Tom talked about. Now, I'm kind of lucky because I, um, you know, I know that I'm going to get to talk. Actually, next week I'm not talking, and I'll tell you about that. But um, I, I get to speak over and over, and I, I know the situation Tom's in. He gets this one chance. God's been filling him with all kinds of stuff for like six months, right? And then he gets this one chance, and it's all got to go out there. So he, he touched on this, and, and I just want to dig so much deeper. Do you all remember um, Tom talking about the roaring lion? You remember that? And, and the strategy, so there's a picture of the strategy of the enemy here, right? A strategy of, of roaring um, the old lions that are, that are old and beat up with cracked teeth and stuff, I think he said, and, and roar over here and cause the prey to run away from that straight into the devouring of the young lions that have the job to devour, right? You all remember that picture? Okay, so I want to look at that again. I'm actually going to go, if you want to start turning there, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, where that appears. We're going to dig at that, and we're going to let that lead us somewhere. And, you know, I really want to give you the key to the whole message. It seems like God's leading me to do this more and more instead of save the punchline to the end. I want you to know that um, we're going to really talk about two things today, the heart of warfare. And one is, do you know that giving into temptation um, is fear? You could also say fear 
is giving into temptation, and it's agreeing with what's inferior. Do you know that? Do you know that if you have the assurance of the Father's love, if you're absolutely certain about that, and you're certain about who he is, your maker and the creator of the universe, how could you possibly fear anything? But it breaks down at love, right? If there's not assurance of that love... I also want you to know before we start, I want to give you a definition for oppression. Do you know what oppression is? Obviously, it's spiritual attack and it's spirits that have doors into your life and have the ability to to attack and riddle you and slow you down. Um, But oppression is simply agreeing with a lie. Oppression is simply the enemy being able to have power or influence for whatever reason um, because you agree with a lie. Okay, there's the keys. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm starting in verse 8. This is the strategy of the enemy, the lying, the lion verse. <coughs> it says, be sober, which you know what that means. It, it really... Um, if you look at it, knowing that we're talking spiritually, that's be watchful, okay? And be vigilant. Literally, that translates as be awake. So be fully awakened to the reality of what's going on and be watchful. That's what that's saying. It says, and it tells us why. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's got a purpose. He wants to devour. And now verse 9, it says, Resist him. Okay, those are command words. Steadfast in the faith. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Listen, I want you to know um, that this word steadfast, the same roots that are used for this word are used to describe Jesus. And I'm not going to go to this scripture, but if you're a note taker, you can take down in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. The same root of that word is used for Jesus as he's set his face toward Jerusalem. And he's walking towards Jerusalem. And it says that that he's resolute. The, the roots of the word are that he's resolute walking in a certain direction. It's about a 22-mile hike from where he's coming from. He'd be walking with his disciples, and we don't have a whole bunch recorded about great big conversations on that walk. But it does tell us that he's set his face, that the, the root words tell us that he is resolute about a particular direction that he is going to go. And he's just shared with his disciples that he's headed into a very dangerous warfare environment. They know that he's not liked and they're trying to kill him and he's set his face. That same root word is used here in resist him and then especially in the word steadfast in the faith. I'm going to suggest you could also translate as that as steadfast in love. Faith that's grounded in love, okay? It goes on and says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but may the God of all grace, now listen to these words, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Go ahead and tell somebody, I'm called to glory. Okay, go ahead and believe it. I'm called to glory. The God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And then it says, after you've suffered a while. When you look, I I usually don't go crazy digging at the original language. I do a lot of that, but this time I just went nuts because the words are so powerful in this passage. And I looked again, and I looked at the actual literal meaning of after you've suffered a while. And more literally, you might translate that as after you've persevered in passion, okay, against all odds, you are persevering with a passion. And we're going to see four goals. So prepare yourself. It says, after you've suffered a while, um, the God of all grace, it's saying, will perfect Establish, strengthen, and settled. And settle you. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. 
Um, I've, told, I've promised you that every week I'm going to tell you that we're not going to overemphasize the enemy. He's just not worth it. It gets boring and uninteresting. And God is far more, you know, God's goodness is far more interesting to me. And I want you to notice in this passage, this lion that roars in order to, to make you cut and run. Um, the, what the, that's not actually even what the passage is about. Yes, God wants to expose the enemy, but what he really wants to do is give you promises when you're steadfast, steadfast, when you set your face like Jesus did, he wants you to know what the promises are. Do you know that, I know you know this, the enemy can only attack or roar in ways that God allows him to. And God only allows things for the good of those who love him. Do you know that too? Okay, so here's his purposes. He wants, and I told you, I just went crazy on the language here. Um, it says that for those who persevere in passion, who set their face like Jesus did toward the will of God, it's saying that, first of all, he wants to perfect you. That's pretty neat. Do you know what that actually, that translates literally as um, the, the roots in that word are restore and complete. And I want you to tell you that everywhere it talks about, you know, perfect love casts out fear. You all know that scripture? Okay. Anytime you see a command on your life or a call on your life to be perfect or come into perfection or completion, it's talking about being perfect in love, being having the love of the Father becoming complete in you. Do you know if the love of the Father is complete in you, then you are unshakable. That's what the Word of God says. So go ahead, roar. <laughs> the love of the Father is so complete in me that a roar cannot touch me. Do you all know the truth of that? Okay, that's one of the promises. He wants to complete that in you. The second thing he wants to do is establish. Now, you're not going to believe this one. Put your seatbelt on. The root in this word, is to make resolute in a certain direction. That's literally what establish means. That's what he promises. Okay, for those who persevere, he's making you into one who is resolute in a certain direction. Roar all you want, I will not change the direction I'm walking in. Do you see that? Okay, and it, it goes on um, strengthen is the third one. Oddly enough, that means strengthen. But um, it, it may, um, you know, if you dig harder, you find out that that pairs with all kinds of scriptures about the warfare that says that he wants you to be filled with power and might. He wants to give you his power and might. In fact, I think we're looking at some of those warfare passages this morning. And then settle you. He wants to settle you. Do you want to be settled? Especially after I really tell you about this language, you're going to want that. You know, settling um, is, in the word, has connotations of a foundation, and particularly a foundation of peace. Now, I'm not talking about peace, the world's peace. I'm talking about the biblical peace, the, one, the peace that passes understanding, the peace with God, the peace that you get when you're grounded in the love of the Father. You know that gives you peace. Did I talk about the love of the Father yet? Okay, that's a really important part. So in other words, the promises of this warfare and the reason God would even allow it, allow the roaring in your life in the first place is because he wants to complete you in the Father's love, set your build resolution, make you resolute in a particular direction, fill you with his power and might so you can walk in that direction and settle you in peace so that you cannot be shaken. You know the purpose of warfare. I want you to think for just a minute about um, the early church, the book of Acts, okay? You know every time, I shouldn't say every time because there's probably a time you'll see something else. Most of the time, why are they put in prison? Why are they persecuted? If you go study this, you'll be amazed how many times in the book of Acts it literally shows you the same pattern over and over. It says, because of their boldness, 
they're put in prison. Because of their boldness, they're persecuted. You know, if they would just be quieter about it, they would have, it would have been far, you know, far easier on them. <laughs> That's the pattern you'll see in X. And I want to tell you something. When, this, when you emerge from warfare bolder than you went into it, you're winning the war. And that is the reason God puts you in the warfare. That is the reason he allows it at all. Because his plan is to make you bolder and bolder and bolder. More established in the Father's love. More complete and perfect. More settled on the direction that you're going. That's the Father's purpose. Okay, I want you to see some insights about this roar. You understand that basically what this is saying is that the primary strategy of the enemy is to roar. God wants you in perfect faith established. The enemy wants to turn your faith to fear. You know the opposite of love is fear. It's not intuitive, but if you think about it, you know it's true. The opposite of love is fear, biblically at least. Go to Ezekiel chapter 19 with me. Now we're going to start exposing some stuff here. Okay, Ezekiel 19, right in verse 1. This is a, a prophecy from Ezekiel to Israel, and it starts talking about the, the princes of Israel. In other words, the leaders at the time, and some of the evil things that are going on. Okay, and it says, so here in verse 1, Moreover, take up a lamentation. Okay, in other words, um, uh, repent or, or weep, be, be grieving over what you're about to hear. Lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, so here's what they're, they're grieving over. It says, what is your mother, a lioness? She lay down among the lions. Among the lions, she nourished her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. You see, you're reading something about Israel beginning to mingle their ways of leadership with the world beginning to move away from dependence on God, and they're becoming like lions. They're agreeing with a strategy that is not God's. Do you see that? It repeats the pattern starting verse 4 and says, The nations also heard of him. He was trapped in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. And it says, When she saw that she waited, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He roved among the lions and became a young lion and learned to catch prey. He devoured men. Okay, now here's why we're reading this. Verse 7. I need you to listen to these words. This is, this is life-changing insight if you get a handle on this. It says, He knew their desolate places and laid waste their cities. I want to tell you something. You're reading a bit of cause and effect. How this warfare works. He knew their desolate places. Now, you have to know, I know many of you know this, but what are desolate places in the Word of God? What are desolate places? Desolate places are, are all the places where um, you have uh, wrong heart attitudes, soul wounds, faithless mindsets, thinking, we've talked a lot about this, thinking contrary to God, complaining. The Bible talks a lot about complainers. Spiritual and physical complaining, okay? These are desolate places. In other words, I want to put a fine point on it. Desolate places are any places that, do not, that are not filled with the life of God. They are places that are absent of God's life in them. You understand, God does not have desolate places, right? Where he is, there is no, de there is no desolation there, amen? Okay, so desolate places are places that are void of that life. And so how does he lay waste to their city? He has knowledge of their desolate places. You remember, Israel is a, Israel is a physical picture of your spiritual life 
Yes, of your, it's, it's a picture of God's ways. It's a picture of the, the same patterns that you see in your own life, right? How does he lay waste to your cities, to what God wants to accomplish? He has knowledge of the desolate places. Now go with me. It goes on and says, these words are so prophetic. Listen to these words. It says, the land with its fullness was desolated by the noise of his roaring. Think about those words, the land with its fullness. And Lord, do you understand how that's prophecy of the truth? Even this morning, even right now today in your life, what does the word of God tell us? That, that Jesus has made the kingdom of God available. The word of God tells us that he withholds no spiritual blessing. The fullness of God is available. But by roaring, it can be made desolate. A, a kingdom that is completely available can be stolen. That's right there for the taking. But the roaring brings about desolation. Do you see that? That's the warfare. Okay. Okay, I have to do this. Um, I've said this before, and I just feel like I'm supposed to say it again. If God speaks words over your life, if he is impressing on you, if he's speaking words and your circumstances scream something else, which is true? God's words. You see, church, that's, the, that's what we've got to get a handle on. That's the warfare. That's the roaring. Your circumstances, the attacks, the things in your life are ever are designed, they're, they're enemy designed. They're screaming at you things that are contrary to God's word. But when you're, a step, when you're perfected in love, when the love of the Father is your foundation and you're established and you're on that peace, go ahead and roar. Go ahead and scream at me. I, I uh, will not believe the inferior screaming above my God. You see that? Okay, go with me if, to Ephesians chapter 6, and this really just gets better and better. <clears throat> so this is the chapter that Tom primarily preached on last week, and he, he preached on the armor of God. How many of you are here for that? Let me just see that. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Was that not an awesome message? That was so good. Um, and he broke the, the armor into three and three. And what'd you say? The second three are armors that, that are done by prayer. Isn't that what you said? Do I have that right? Christ in the Christian. Okay. And those three, that's really where I'm picking up. Okay. I'm going to start in verse 10 and I'm not going to redo the armor. Don't worry. I'm going to do something different here. I want you to see other things, okay? But I have to start in 10 because it's so foundational. And it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, you remember that? That makes three weeks we're giving you that scripture, three in a row. A command, be strong. That's a command to you. That's an active thing for you to do. And then Tom thought about, well, what's part of how do you, how do you be obedient to that command? Well, Part of it is you put on the armor. What follows next? So then go to verse 16 with me. Here it says, um, above all, so we're already past some of the armor and we're kind of starting in the middle because you got that last week. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now I have to point out, we're back to, it's the shield of love, right? It's the shield of faith. What is faith without love and what is love without faith? You don't put your faith there's no way you're going to put your faith in a good, good father if you don't have assurance of that love. The shield of faith, and it goes on with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you see that it's faith, it's love that quenches the darts, that stops the roaring's impact? Do you see that? It goes on in the helmet of salvation. Now, here's where I'm really going to pause for a minute. It's so important. Um, you understand in their time, salvation, well, actually, let me start with kind of our understanding, our society. We've become very salvation-focused, 
okay? Which I don't mean to minimize or say that's a bad thing. Salvation is very, very important, right? But we've, we've become a society where we, we um, a Christian community, where we almost think of it as, um, well, you know, if you bring people to Christ, you, they, they're fi- they finally come, you get them to say the prayer, and you're like, yes, mission accomplished, right? Salvation, they understood, like when they say the Lord is my salvation, they were really saying the Lord is my victory. Okay, so in, in a warfare passage like this, the helmet of salvation is basically saying the helmet of victory. The, the, the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom now. The salvation for them was um, winning the war is salvation for them. Um, I, I'm going to confess that God rearranged me this morning, so the scripture that's on your bulletin, I don't even think we're going to look at it, but I'll just, this is, I'll put this out there. That's Moses saying, the Lord is my banner. Okay, that's like saying, the Lord is my victory. The Lord is the one who makes us win the war. Okay? And so it's a help. So in other words, what, what we need to see here is that it is a mindset of victory. Okay? He's calling us to believe him. He's, he's calling us to be a people who agree with him that he already won the victory. You understand when you get up in the morning, get out of bed, there's two ways you can think about your day. You can think about it like it's up in the air and you're not sure if you have victory or not. Or you can be grounded in the love of the Father, which allows you to have that faith where you wear the helmet of salvation, the helmet of victory, and you actually believe that the victory is one. It's two completely different ways of looking at your life today. Do you see that? Now, roars are ever going to try to get you not to be under the helmet of salvation. They're ever going to try to get you to believe that whether you have victory or not is up in the air. And it goes on and says, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, um, which I would love to tackle, but if I did, then I'm just going to move past that because you want me to. (laughs) And in verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I love Paul here. Starting in verse 9, it's totally shameless. It's like, and he says, and for me. I just love that because it's like, you know what? As long as you're praying, go ahead and pray for me while you're at it. (laughs) Who Who doesn't have that temptation that like, you know, pray for this, that, and the other. Oh, yeah, pray for me. (laughs) Pray for me anytime you want. But it's actually not as off-subject as it appears at first because I want you to see what he says to pray. And then you see that it's insightful. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me. So what? Utterance. That I may be filled with the very words of God, right? Which, is that also a call on your life? We're all prophets in the kingdom of God, right? In other words, I'm not talking about the gift of prophecy. I'm just talking about the role as as a prophet in the kingdom, the role of a son of God to be one who is filled with words of life, that you speak the truth of God. And Paul says, um, pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Now listen, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. As if he didn't emphasize it enough, he goes on and says, for which I am an ambassador in chains and that I may speak boldly. He's like, let me just tell you twice what the goal is here, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, now this just goes back. I had to do do it twice. This just goes back um, to to what I was saying before that when warfare, don't forget, our context here is warfare is that we are in a war. Stay awake. Put on the clothing. Be ready. Okay, that's our context. And when warfare makes you bolder, you're winning the war. 
His goal is that every time an attack, every time a distraction, every time the enemy roars, that you, you have your face set in a particular direction so that as you walk, you only ever get bolder and bolder and bolder. That's winning the war. That's the only reason he even allows the warfare over your life, to establish you, to found you on his peace. Amen? Um, I'm going to skip one. Go with me to Joel chapter 3. Here, okay, you're going to know very quickly why I've picked this verse, why we're doing this. This is battle preparation, okay? In fact, I'm going to suggest that it's, the, it's exactly the same thing. It's a prophetic utterance of Ephesians chapter 6. It's kind of, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 is how do you prepare for battle? What should I wear? You know, you're going to your closet. If I don't have anything good to wear, I'm not even going to battle, right? <laughs> this is, Joel is kind of the same thing, and it's, it's different wording, it's a different approach, but it's really, um, what shall I wear? How should I prepare? And it's, it's talking to the, to the men of war, right, which is every one of us in here, right? Verse 9, it says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Okay, there's the sober, vigilant part, right? Wake up. Don't pretend like there's not a war. Okay, wake up. And it says, let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now, what's going on there? You may think of the book of Hebrews that talks about... Um, talks about being a soldier. It talks about um, um, soldiers don't get caught up in civilian life. Are you all familiar with those passages? That's what it's talking about. In other words, beat your worldly things. Align your, your life, your worldly life, to the reality that you're in a war. Why would you do that? Because you are. That's what this is saying. Make your life, make your, your realities line up with reality. And people say, what is, what is the meaning of life? Philosophers have sat around and wasted thousands of hours. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is that you were created to be a carrier of God's glory, to bring glory to him, and to be a spectacle of the goodness of the Father's heart and win the war. That's the meaning of life, okay? That's what this scripture is saying. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Live according to reality. <laughs> what is actually going on around you and what the purpose of you actually is. That's not why we're reading this, though. Um, <laughs> it goes on and says, um, let the weak say, I am strong. This is the helmet of salvation, okay? Just bear with me here. Is God saying, um, believe in an illusion or, or live in fantasies? Okay? No. Now, I want to give you an example. So, let's say you, you get sick. You, get, you come out of faith to get healing prior and you don't get healed. What should you do? You should go to the doctor, okay? Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he gives you that breakthrough, sometimes he doesn't. Um, his thoughts are higher than mine. I never try to make excuses or explanations for God. He's big enough to handle that on his own, okay? And this is, let the weak say, I am strong. He's not saying believe in a fantasy. He's not saying try to make up illusions that aren't actually so. What's he saying? He's talking about a heart mindset. He's talking about agreeing with the words of God over you. You understand you're dead in the water until you begin to agree with the words of God over you. He says he gives you his spirit. He says, I fill you with my power and might. He says, I want you established. You are capable of keeping your face set in one direction, of following my example of that steadfast perseverance. He speaks all of those things over you. So in other words, this is saying um, you may feel very weak, but what does God speak over you? 
Amen? What, what are you going to believe? The way that you feel? Are these things that are roaring at you? These, the lies that are continually screamed from our, our environment that beg you to believe in them? The voice of the enemy. What will you believe? This says, let the weak say, I'm strong. I may feel weak. You may, may be making every effort to make me think I'm less than I am. But God says, I'm a son of God. God says, I have all of his power and might, that he withholds nothing. This passage ends by saying, Assemble and calm all you nations, and gather together all around. Now listen to this. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. So cause, cause them to go to war. I mean, really, I, I believe that should, in a sense, be our prayer. Cause us to become a people that go straight into the battle because we're, we have such an assurance of your love that we're unshakable anyway. We are so established, so strengthened in your power and might that we have nothing to worry about. So established, we are a people that are so set in the direction that he's calling on our life that you... No confusion, no roars, nothing ever makes us change our direction. Amen? Okay. I know I, <laughs> I, know I have too much, um, so I am going to pray over what we are going to do next for just a second here. Actually, I think we should do that. Let's do, um, keep right on course, Isaiah 51. Turn to Isaiah 51. Now, I'm going to confess this. I'm, ch I'm going to cherry pick Isaiah 51, which some say, you know, you're never supposed to do. So if you're bothered by the fact that I'm cherry picking out of this, um, I highly recommend you go study the whole chapter of Isaiah 51 today. Um, but I'm just going to grab verses out of here, um, and, and you're going to see what we've talked about already. You're going to see how there's something really powerful. There's um, a gift here. Starting right in verse 1, it says, um, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Okay? So I just want to start by asking a question. Does this... Scripture pertain to you. <laughs> okay. It goes on and says, Look to the rock from which you were hewn. What's that saying? Okay. I think I heard versions of the right answer all over the place. Look to your maker, right? Look to Jesus. Look to your maker. And to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. What's that saying? In other words, be, be brutally aware of the reality of you as one who's redeemed, who was made by a maker and redeemed from a whole, right? That's our grounding in reality, okay? And then, and then I want you to go, go to verse 3, and it says, For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. That's the desolate places. Okay, that's the broken soul. That's the wound, the places. In other words, he's promising the places in you that lack his life, that lack the life of God, he wants to fill. He wants to comfort those and heal those places. Okay, go to verse five. It says, my righteousness is near. Does that sound like Jesus right there? Okay, you understand he walked around the earth. He walked around doing his ministry, saying the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is upon you. When you see me doing these things that I'm doing right now, that's the fulfilling of prophecy, and the kingdom is upon you. I am instituting a kingdom. And he goes and says, my salvation, remember what's that? What's salvation, really? Victory. Good. <laughs> My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the people. 
The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. In other words, they're going to become a people whose faith is grounded on my love, who have faith in me. They'll trust in me. Okay, now verse 12, and here's why we're reading this. I'm going to slow down in this now. It says, I, even I, am him who comforts you. Who? The maker. The one who made you is the one who comforts you. Now listen, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of a man who will be made like grass? Do you realize what God is saying there? (laughs) Who are you to think you have the right to be in fear? You see, if you're, if you're grounded in the Father's love, if you understand that you are unconditionally, unshakably loved, unsnatchable from the Father's love, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have an issue here. But apparently God feels the need to say that I, he's identifying himself. He's saying, I, even I, your maker, am the one who comfort you. Who are you to think you have some kind of right to be afraid of something? What gives you the audacity to think that you, you have some reason to be in fear instead of faith? Goes on and says, and of the son, uh, let's see. Verse 13, and you forget the Lord your maker. So there's the bottom line. Who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. You forget your maker. See, I want to tell you something. The only time time you stand there in fear instead of faith is when you're forgetting your maker. You're forgetting that our God is a God who can say, I made you. In fact, I, I, I made everything. I laid all the foundations. And when you believe that, and when you know that I love you, what ground do you have to think that you can that you have some right to be in fear? The helmet of salvation. You see, the victory of mindset. You can get out of bed fretting over things. You can be worried about this, that, or the other. Or you can just go in the assurance that I'm loved and my Father's got this. That's the helmet of salvation. I'm not suggesting that you do this as like, as like a legalism or a task or something. This is a work <laughs> that God does. This is the giving, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, God produces these things. He produces this in warfare. Every time you have victory in the warfare and you did it with God and you watched his victory, you become bolder and bolder and bolder. You become more established, more grounded in love, more founded on his peace, more set in the one direction. And you know the pattern of Scripture. You know all the pattern of Scripture. Every time it gets, it gets light and easy for Israel, what do they do? Yeah, they, they fall away. It's this continual cycle, and he brings, he brings hard time. He brings them into a very great warfare. And what? They get bolder. Now, I recommend growing to a place where you're passing these, you know, maybe not having such epic cycles. Um, There is a way to grow in that boldness, to to have victory and warfare as you walk. And that's what we're trying to build here. But that's why he allows it in your life. And then actually um, in verse 16, now listen to this. He identifies himself as the one who laid the foundations, as the one who's done it. And in verse 16, he says, I have put my words in your mouth. Does that sound like something we've heard today? Paul saying, pray that I have the utterance. Here, Isaiah says, and I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. Why, Why would he do that? 
that I may plant the heavens. Are you getting a load of this? He's putting his words in human mouths so that he may plant the heavens. Lay the foundations of the earth. There's man's dominion in the earth. That's how highly he thinks of you. Do you know that you're loved? And say to Zion, you are my people. Boldness he's making. Okay. I'm going to begin. We're going to have to do another message because I'm skipping like pages and pages. Um, But... So this is great. We're focusing on a lot of Jesus' truth. And, and I just, I believe that, that God is doing things in the heart that is, that is making us bolder warriors in all of this. But now I'm going to turn towards the Lord's table, okay? And to do that, there, there's only one way to do that. We're really going to focus on Jesus, not just Jesus' truth, <laughs> but we're going to look at him. Okay, I hope that what we're about to do, my prayer is, is that it makes what we're talking about very practical. Okay, is it, do you believe that this should be practical? It shouldn't be like mystical and weird. We are a people of the spirit. Do you know you're more spiritual than you are flesh? And that's just true. The eternal, I mean, the way God made you is that the spirit in you is the, is the more grounded part of your being. We're going to read about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane here to prepare for the table. And um, you realize in the garden, I know you know this. I'm just going to bring this to your remembrance, okay? Jesus is in a very real warfare. Do you know that? You don't do anything that Jesus didn't do. Um, he, He was agonizing in a warfare, just before he's betrayed by the casts and killed and um, a painful, painful warfare. That's where we read. So uh, go to Matthew 26 and verse 36, and there's great warfare insight here. It says, then Jesus came with them. Um, Did I give you the verse? Good, 36. Okay. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. 39. He says, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want you to relate with Jesus for a minute. Do you realize what this prayer is, what he's doing? I know you've, you've had this prayer before. He's asking about God's will. Lord, I want to know your will. If I'm going to be able to go where you're going, I need to know your will, right? I've spent a lot of my life in that prayer, <laughs> Show me your will. Now, I want to show you something. Go on. Verse 40 says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter. And this is usually where we focus, the failure of the disciples, right? But here it says, "Um, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation? Did you hear that? I actually went over that too fast. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Do you know what the temptation is? Huh? Not to do God's will? That's right. And the cause, the real temptation is to be in fear instead of faith. That would cause you not to do God's will. Watch and pray. Why are they supposed to watch and pray? so that they don't go into that temptation to be in fear in what's about to happen. Okay, it says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I want you to see this about Jesus. It says, Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, I actually want to 
want to go to um, verse 44 goes to, so he left them, went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. I just want you to see, this is Jesus in fellowship with his father. And he prays the same thing three times. Have you ever really deeply noticed that? That he, Jesus, <laughs> kept laboring. What do they call it? Prevailing, prevailing prayer? There's fancy names. You know, we love to give things fancy names. But he was wrestling. He was praying. He was praying. He was praying over this. Why does he do that? You know that prayer is, is fellowship with, with the Father, right? Prayer is fellowship. It's, I believe in this. God wants you to know that prayer is an exchange, okay? Do you know that if you go into prayer and you leave the same way, you probably weren't praying, do you, do you get that? You were probably complaining or fretting or something, fretting or complaining before God. Prayer is an exchange. You say, Father, I have my weakness. And he says, I'll take that. I have strength for you. Okay? Prayer is, I, I have my doubts. And he says, I'll take your doubts. I have faith for you. Prayer is an exchange. Now, I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying that, that um, you should always just have strength you know, these amazing moments of prayer always has this epic wonderfulness. I'm not saying that. Read Jesus' prayer. He went three times. He was agonizing in fellowship with his Father, but he went three times. He was not willing to come away from it without the exchange. Do you see that? Real relationship, not complaining, not fretting, not fear, looking for that exchange. And I want you to see that he doesn't leave until, until he gets that exchange. It says, um, actually, it's right there in verse 45. It says, then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man as being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He ends, you can see he had the exchange. He comes out saying, it's time, get up. I've got my face resolute in one direction on the Father's will. That's winning warfare. He comes out of it with a boldness and he willingly takes himself to the cross to be beaten, slaughtered, hung, so that he can become the resurrected life for you. Prayer <laughs> is awakening the truth and silencing the roar. Do you understand that? If you're, if you're leaving all of your prayer and the roar is still louder than God's voice, you're probably not praying. I just have to put it out there. You leave prayer changed. When you leave the exchange with the Father, He is higher than the roar of the enemy. Amen?